Welcome to episode 33 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building comic stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Frank Gogol, creator of Dead End Kings Kids, being released by Source Point Press on July 24th. Uh, set in the mid-90s, this coming-of-age murder mystery sees three remaining kids, Murphy, Amanda, and Tank, trying to solve Ben's murder while trying to while trying not to get killed themselves. And unlike a Hardy Boys novel, not everyone makes it out alive. So Frank, um, I'm going to turn it over to you to do a, uh, a bio on yourself and tell us a little bit about your comic. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, where to start? Where to start? Uh, I've been writing comics for a couple years now, I guess a little over three years. Uh, and uh, it's sort of, you know, been sort of my passion to write comics since I was was about 18. Um, and it took me like 13 years to really get some momentum going on that. I'm 31 now and I started mm -hmm. reading comics full time in 2006. Uh, I started reading with uh, Marvel Civil War uh, and I, I really just sort of never put them back down after I picked up Spider-Man 528 or Amazing Spider-Man 528. Uh, that's the first red and gold costume. Um, so I bought all Civil War and all the tie-ins and wasted a lot of money on some of those. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, I've always wanted to be sort of a, a storyteller of some kind, whether it was a, a poet or a novelist or something. And then I found comics and everything sort of clicked into place. So that's, that's sort of like a very streamlined version of my origin story. Okay. And, uh, and your new book, um, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background on that as well? Sure. Uh, Dead End Kids is, uh, it's a story about three friends in the late nineties trying to solve their friend's murder. It's a little bit Hardy Boys, a little bit Stand By Me, uh, but probably a lot darker and more violent than those things tend to skew. Mm -hmm. um, at its core, it's really a story about sort of childhood trauma and, and, sort of these messed up kids who find one another and find stability in one another and what happens to that stability when one of them is murdered and one of their anchors is sort of pulled away from them with, with no sort of uh, warning. Okay. So you mentioned some of those influences, um, but those influences seem to be a little bit, uh, the predate the, the nineties. What was the, what was the choice for, for setting it in the, uh, the mid to late nineties? Uh, two things, really. Uh, the first is that I, I really do love um, coming-of-age stories, you know, Stand By Me and The Hardy Boys and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, the, even The Breakfast Club. Like All these, these stories where these kids who are a little screwed up or a lot screwed up sort of find each other and sort of help each other be better. Even The Sandlot fits that mold, The Goonies. Um, but uh, I never really quite felt like they represented me and my experience growing up um like sort of one of the the cliches of all those those stories is at the end you find out in you know usually a montage of pictures black and white pictures with a little bit of text you know what happens to each kid and you find out that they eventually sort of grew up and grew apart and that's not been my experience um like for example i'm getting married in september and one of my best friends from growing up is is my best man uh and and I'm very close with all the kids that I grew up with. So I wanted to sort of write a version of the, the coming of age story from my view, how, how I have experienced those things in my life. Um, the other thing is I turned 30, not last year, the year before. Um, so 
I'm, I've been really sort of nostalgic for, for things. Um, and a lot of the things that I grew up with, like the Power Rangers and, and Pokemon are, are sort of having a renaissance and coming back and I'm finally getting my nostalgia. <clears throat> so I sort of wanted to combine those two things. And you know, I was, I was a, a preteen, early teenager in, in the late nineties and early two thousands. And now that that stuff's coming back around, I wanted to sort of funnel that need for nostalgia and the want to sort of tell my version of the coming of age story as, as one project. Very cool. And uh, earlier you had said that you always wanted to be a creator of some time or some sort and uh, that you had found comics. What about the comics medium uh, really speaks to you to, to, to want to tell your stories that way? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. It's something I think about a lot. Um, <clears throat> I think, I fell in love with comics because I you know, was able to read some really good comics and there have been some really great comics made. And because the format is very visual, um, in addition to having words, uh, I, I've, I've just read such a, a volume of comics that you know, you know, thousands more than the number of novels I've read and probably hundreds or thousands more than the number of television episodes I've seen. And I think being so saturated in, in this thing I really enjoy sort of just moved it to the forefront of, of media for me. But also just, you know, some of my favorite stories are comic books. Um, Kabuki by David Mack is a really important story to me. I think it's a very beautiful and violent story. Um, the same can be said of The Crow. Um, Becky Cloonan and uh, Brian Wood's uh, 12 issue sort of anthology maxi series demo really, really uh, spoke to me a lot. Um, so like most of my favorite stories are told in this medium and, you know, all of those things together sort of make me want to do the same thing in this medium. Very cool. Okay, so why don't we take a little bit of time to to talk about the uh, the other uh, folks you have on this team to to make the to make this comic? Um, how did you how did you go about finding for, uh, your your collaborators? Uh, well, I, I had a book before this called Grief, uh, and which was also published by Source Point Press, and uh, that was a sort of short story collection of genre stories that dealt with the five stages of the grieving process. Um, and when I was putting that book together, I, it's, it's a lot of my very early work and it's, it's t 10 short stories. So um, each story in grief has some mishmash of different creators who I've met and wanted to work with over time. So different colors, different artists. Um, and, and, Two of the, the two collaborators I have on Dead End Kids, uh, Sean Reinhardt, the letter, and Nanette Savitikanen, the artist and colorist, uh, were people who I worked with um, the most on grief. Uh, Nanette drew five or six of the stories, and Sean lettered the whole thing. Okay. Uh, so these are just people who I've had a really good time collaborating with, who are, are very talented um, and really hard workers, and who I have a lot of really creative synergy with. Um, so when I was writing the book, I had, I'd known I'd work with Sean because he does all of my lettering and I, I just trust him to, to get what I'm putting down. And, um, <clears throat> Nanad's strengths are really in, in drama and, and sort of, not that he can't tell a story that has a monster and alien. We've done those together before, but he really, really thrives in, in realistic settings. Um, so he was always sort of at the back of my mind and then very much at the forefront of my mind when I was picking the artist. Um, and like I said, they're both just so incredibly talented. I really wanted to work with them again. Um, they, they, they hopefully and seemingly enjoy working with me as well. 
Okay, that's very cool. Um, and you had mentioned um, your time in comics experience. Um, I've also taken a few uh, classes with comics experience. Um, so uh, how, um, how much of that connection um, helped you um, in your endeavors here with uh, SourcePoint? Uh, well, actually, comics experience is the reason I landed at SourcePoint. Um, there's a very long version of the story. I try to streamline it sometimes. But uh, Grief was originally um, on Kickstarter as a digital-only um, book, and it, it was a successful Kickstarter. It was a very successful Kickstarter. Um, and uh, Andy Schmidt, who is the, the guy who runs uh, comics experience, he's a former Marvel editor and teacher who you know, wanted to create this resource for people to learn how to make comics. Um, he formerly had a, a publishing program for comics experience with IDW that sort of, you know, went the way of the dinosaur and was no longer available. And after exploring a lot of options that didn't really pan out, he had planned to do sort of a digital publishing line to prop up uh, comics experience talent. Um, so I had um, submitted grief for that and it was accepted. It was going to be sort of part of the first wave of those titles. Um, and then sort of behind the scenes, uh, without me knowing it, Andy was uh, building this relationship with uh, Travis McIntyre and Josh Warner at SourcePoint Press to try and get something that is print um, rather than just digital. Um, and he, uh, he was successful in you know, developing that relationship. Uh, and without letting me know, he, he's passed over all of the uh, digital submissions for consideration at SourcePoint Press. Uh, so it was Comic-Con, I want to say 2016, uh, New York Comic Con, rather. Uh, I went up to Source Point Press, uh, sort of doing my networking thing, trying to meet, you know, publishers and editors, and just you know get some FaceTime. And I introduced myself to Travis and said, "Hi, I'm Frank Gogol." And uh, you know, we were talking for a little bit, and he was giving me sort of another rundown about what Source Point Press does. And about halfway through the conversation, he stops, and he's this sort of burly guy with the big red beard. He says, "What's your name again?" And I'm like, uh, "Frank Gogol." He's like, "Oh, I know you. I just read your book." Uh, and I was like, no, you, you got to be mistaken. I, I didn't submit anything. It's like, no, no, Andy Schmidt gave it to me. Grief, right? And I'm, yeah, yeah we're going we're gonna to pick it up. And I, I sort of stunned but saved face and finished the conversation with him. And then I sort of traveled away from the booth and back onto the show floor. And for the next 20 or so minutes, sitting amongst these thousands of comic book fans and, and creators, thought I'd had a psychotic break. <laughs> that, just happened like what are the chances you walk up to a publisher and somebody else has like submitted your book and that and and then they're gonna take it um it was it was pretty surreal um so that's that's how i got involved the source point press very cool um okay so um let's uh go into uh dead dead end kids a little bit more the the three kids that we we still have in the story uh murphy um amanda and tank you said that you were still very close to your friends. Um, are they are these uh, characters based on um, people you know, or take uh, attributes or characteristics from from people you know growing up? I would say that these are, if anything, they're sort of uh, reflections of parts of me more so than a bunch of my friends. Mm -hmm. um, Murphy, Murphy, the most. Um, Murphy is an orphan who's been adopted, and uh, both of my parents. Um, my, my father passed away when I was about a year and a half old and my mom had some problems with drugs, um, which meant she couldn't really take care of me uh, at various points throughout my childhood. And I ended up being uh, adopted by my friend's family. 
So <clears throat> I, I very much tried to channel like a lot of that into Murphy. Uh, Murphy's a really angry kid, um, and rightfully so. He he was in a car accident with his parents, and both of his parents died, and then he had to go live with these strangers. It's, it's he's had a very complicated life for someone who's just thirteen or fourteen, um, and and I remember sort of not understanding why all this stuff was happening to me and, and being really angry. So, so angry that like, sometimes like, I don't know, my, my skin would like start to prickle cause I was so mad. Um, so like when I was sort of developing and, and designing Murphy's character, I poured a lot of that into it. Um, but that's not to say that uh, aspects of my, my other good friends growing up aren't there. Like, in, in you know in terms of the the friendship structure there were four of us just like there were four of these kids um me and my three friends were three guys but uh amanda's very much inspired by the best elements of my, my friends growing up you know she's probably the most level-headed but also the most loyal and that sort of keeps her at odds with herself you know doing the right thing or doing the thing that is you know uh loyal and and, and following murphy's lead when he's going to do something really dumb or drastic um, so yeah, like in, in some ways it's, it's very much a reflection of my friends and myself, but also these are, these are, these are made up characters. Like they're, they're designed to fit the story and the needs of the story. And, um, yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, staying with the, with these three characters, um, uh, they, they seem to be, um, uh, different, different types of people, different, uh, from different sections of, uh, of a high school. So a lot of times in high school, you know, it's a lot of people who, who look the same, who have the same interests. But when, when, when I read the, the comic, I was, I was struck by um, these people look like uh, uh, that they were just friends with each other because of who they were, not like, you know, uh, you know, one guy was a jock and one guy, you know, was, was, was this. And, and then you have, you have the girl. It just seemed like they were, they were friends because of, of the people that they were not uh not what status they held in high school or, or what group they were, were. and this, was that a choice that you made or was that just something that uh uh came together or something that, that i'm seeing there uh i mean i i think that at least in my experience when i was a kid like whoever lived on your block was your friend like mm -hmm. i went outside and i you know played with a stick or played baseball and, like those were the kids you know, from my neighborhood, you know, the kid up the street. Like, I remember I was riding my bike down the street and I met one of my best friends. Just, I was riding up the street and I saw him and I said, hello. Like, and that was, that was it. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's definitely less about sort of like the social or like uh, sort of middle school, high school politics of how, how people sort of end up click together. These are just, yeah. You know, if anything, these four kids are um, sort of, outsiders in their own weird way and because you know, they, they, they come i i imagine them this doesn't really come into play in the story but as being fairly like lower class and not not well to do and then you know also having these these troubles at home you know like amanda's mom is is dealing with some stuff that um you know sort of made her latch on to these very extreme y2k views um tank's parents are you know, he's got this heart problem and they have to work a lot to, to sort of keep up with the bills. And like, there are little things in there to hint at that, but because of that, he's got sort of a distant relationship with, with his parents. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's dopefully uh, happy and, and optimistic, but like, he's, he's still down about that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, Murphy's screwed up for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, 
and and I don't know these those three kids and Ben who we haven't talked about much. Um, they just they just they sort of found each other by by magnetism and 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 serendipity. Like they just they needed each other, and sort of the universe provided. And I think that is how sort of young childish friendships get made sometimes. Yeah, that I that that's that's very cool. So this is. Um, uh, set out to be a three issue series. Is, is, is that correct? That is correct. Um, one of the things I think about when I'm creating a book is sort of what's best for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. like I know a lot of people set out to tell 12 issue stories or ongoing four volume, 24 issue stories or whatever, whatever it is. But, uh, I try to be pretty practical. Like the, the economics of making a comic, it's, it's not cheap. It's, it's, thousands of dollars of investment, you know, sometimes per issue. Um, and at this, at this stage of making comics, you know, I have a couple books published, um, maybe going to make most of that back, maybe a little more than that back in the very long run. <clears throat> but, you know, for me, it's not economically worthwhile to tell a story that's four or five, six, 10 issues. Um, and this story, it really, when I was plotting it out, it, it felt naturally at three issues. Um, I also try to keep the retailers in mind, which I think is something a lot of creators don't do. Uh, especially if you're trying to move an indie book, the, the more money you have to ask a buyer for, the, the, the harder it is it's going to get them on board. So, you know, three issues is 12 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. So even that is for, for the retailer, they're probably going to spend about six to get all three, you know, one issue of all three issues. And then they'll make like a dollar on each issue. Um, <clears throat> so like, it's just, I try to, do what's best for me, what's best for the retailer and what's best for the reader. Cause that's sort of a three way symbiotic relationship that really needs to be examined when you're making a comic. It, it's, it's just the reality of the situation. Someday when I'm Rick Remender, I, I can do a issue series and people will buy every issue, but that's, that's not today. And a retailer is not going to be able to sell a 40 issue series for me. Yeah. Okay. So, um, since it's a three issue series, did you, um, did you, did you sort of have like one um, storyline that you were able to, to, to maybe divide into three parts or did you, when you wrote it, you, you were sort of like, uh, this is the end point of uh, issue one. This is the end point of issue two. And then this is going to be the, the, the last, uh, the last point of the, the last issue. Or did you have to, um, did you have to sort of, uh, try to fit those in. Uh, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time studying comics in the last mm -hmm. three years and sort of trying to better understand structure because comics don't have a structure like a movie or a TV show or a television season even. Like, you know, every every page needs to have some sort of mini cliffhanger and every issue needs to have some sort of major cliffhanger like to give, you know, the reader a reason to come back. So if anything, I think, comic book issues are more like stanzas of a poem than, than like a, a movie with three acts or, or whatever the metaphor you want to use. Um, <clears throat> so like I think of them as units. Each, each issue is a mini story and the mini stories all add up to the, the whole narrative. And I just sort of had these three major beats in my head. Um, the ending came first and then the, uh, the end of the first issue came second. It's a murder mystery. So like I, need, I needed to say that something at the end um and then the the middle or the second issue the the cliffhanger sort of came organically from the planning and writing process this this took several drafts at the development stage and then several drafts at the writing stage so 
know, it's it's an editor iterative process. So uh, you know, it, it came to me and then was refined as we went. Okay, and uh, you said that you 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 knew the ending. Uh, knowing the ending, did you did you feel like that helped the the, the writing process? Knowing um, where you needed to 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 get to at the end, sort of like. Uh, retro engineering it uh, uh, as you t- as you went back in the story. Did you did you find that easier? Oh, absolutely. I, th- I mean, I think of it like imagine you were going to plan like a long road trip. If you didn't know where you were going, how would you plan the course to get there? Right. Mm-hmm. So, you, I think it's essential to know how the story ends. It doesn't have to be like the pitch perfect, absolute version of it, but you need to sort of have that sense of where you're going. And I knew sort of the themes I wanted to talk about. The sort of situation I wanted Murphy to be in and, and the change I wanted him to have by the end of it. And those are the sort of three things that you know, even at a very loose sense guided me to where I was, was going. Okay. Um, and uh, you may not want to answer this, um, but uh, will this be something that you would uh, 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 venture into again, or are these the only, the only three issues we'll, we'll ever see with, with these characters? Uh, I think the answer to that depends on a few things. One, uh, if I have another story to tell, mm-hmm. uh, some, something happens in the last issue that could potentially set up a whole new sort of status quo for future stories. Uh, I can't say too much more than that without spoiling it. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that really matters is how well does this pre-order? Like I've got some early pre-order information right now. It's only been in uh, available for uh, <clears throat> pre-order for about a month, but uh, I've got a sense of about how well it's doing, and it, it seems like it's going to do pretty well by SourcePoint Press standards, and and by my standards, it's going to do better than Grief did. Um, so I think the opportunity would be there if I wanted to, uh, but you know, sort of working against it is I have several other ideas, older ideas and newer ideas, but things that I want to explore, and, I, and I, I have told this story in a for me satisfying way. So I think right now it's it. I don't have plans to, but I'm not going to take it off the table. Well, that's, that's actually, you know, probably like a a real sweet spot that a lot of writers would want to be in where they they have told a story, but they have left maybe like, uh, you know, not, not like a loose uh, plot element, but they've, they've left something up or out there that if they do choose, they, they can expand on or they, they can come back to. So that, that's a, that's, probably like i said a real sweet spot that a lot of writers would 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 like to get to yeah definitely and i think that of all the characters i've ever written these ones are definitely my favorite um so if i was ever going to go back to anything that i've written or have planned to write this this would be the thing i'd want to explore more because i like hanging out with these characters and getting to know them and sort of torturing them a little bit okay and um, how about if we dive a little bit more into to comics making and your team? Um, did sure. you did you like uh, did you review stuff at like different uh, stages? Did you like like look at like layouts and say yeah you're on the right track, and then look at pencils and say yeah you're you're still on the right track, or, or did you just sort of get um, or did you have enough um, faith and communication earlier on with your team that you're like they're, they're going to get it with with me um, not having to sort of look at it each step of the way I think the answer is honestly both like there's no way not to look at stuff along the way and that, you know because then there's just too much um, that could go wrong um, most people who want to become comic book writers don't realize that the comic book writer does two things that 
the rest of the team don't usually do. And one of that is one of them is pay for the comic, which is the biggest cold water most people get. The other thing that most people don't understand is that the writer is responsible for project managing. Unless you hire an editor, you are the guy who has to you know pay these people and keep on top of them to um, do the work. And that not, I have never had a problem where I've had to chase a, an artist, a colorist, or a letter. Um, so that maybe sounds a little harsher than I mean it to. It's the, but it's my role as the writer to be project manager. So. Uh, my general process when working with sort of any artist, um, at least the first time is, uh, I give them the script, I ask them to read the script. I ask them if there's anything on their end that they have concerns about or, or think could be, you know, I, I write the panels, but I'm not an artist, so I don't always know, you know, what might be wrong or not wrong, but like what might not be this best panel count for like a a particular page or so I I always defer to them sort of for their expertise. That's why I'm hiring them because they know better than me. I wouldn't try to build a house myself. I'd hire an architect and a construction crew to build the house because they know how to do it. Um, So these are, these are my construction crew. Um, So at the very least, we start with thumbnails after the script is sort of agreed on that it's in good shape and ready to go. Um, and then after thumbnails, I'm pretty hands-off. Uh, I think once, you know, I like the artist to have sort of a whole view roadmap. So that way, you know, if page 20 does something that affects page one, they can sort of work that out. Um, or if they want to do some interesting foreshadowing with the visuals or, or whatever. Uh, but I think that it, it's good to do thumbnails. Um, and then with Nanad, who, who did the art and color for Dead End Kids, he, he likes to do, uh, he'll do thumbnails in the beginning he'll do uh sort of light pencils he works digitally so it's not actual pencil but uh blue lines um he'll send this to me and i'll say okay and then he'll do digital inks um and that'll sort of that'll sort of be it um he also did the color for this so then you know he did the colors for the pages and i approved them um the first few times we worked together i had a couple notes for him and he had a couple notes for me uh this time around i don't really think um we had one little goof with uh, sort of the page template in the beginning where the, they weren't sized correctly for the printer that we were going to use, uh, which happens from time to time. But like once that was corrected, it was sort of smooth sailing. Like he'd, he'd send me pages and I'd say, okay. And he'd send me pages and I'd say, okay. And you know, we knocked the whole thing out in about three and a half months, um, which is pretty quick for indie. It's faster than Marvel these days, but uh yeah, it's 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 pretty smooth, and like I said, I trust Sean too to to do the letters the way that we we discussed. We you know we have a conversation in the beginning um, for this book. We wanted to sort of channel Russ Wooten, who does a lot of work with Rick Remender. Um, if you've read Death or Glory, he's he you know he usually uh, does letters for people who have flatter uh, color palettes, and he does a lot of flatter. Um, sound effects and and word balloons without outlines like things that sort of make the uh lettering seem like part of the art instead of being on top of the art which is one of my big sort of the things i don't like about comics uh it usually stands out takes me out of the story so um sean really got that and um he really nailed it like there's just outside of a couple of typos that made it in that you know were my fault because they were in the script like it was really really great working with with sean and with with nana like it's just yeah it's it's one of those uh perfect storms i guess is the right way to put it yeah and that's certainly uh really awesome once you you find that or you sort of achieve that uh 
that sort of understanding. Um, uh, uh, some of the artists that I've worked with, um, you know, uh, that first time that we did something, there was there there might have been more notes, but the the second time we went through, there was there was there was less notes because we sort of had more of an understanding. Um, did so? Did you you? I, I I feel like you did, but did did you experience it that this time? The the more you guys work uh, together, um, there's just there's more of that understanding at the start, and there's you know so there's less need to to trade notes back and forth. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and like I said, the first time I worked with these guys, it was on my very first work ever. So like I've grown tremendously mm -hmm. as, as a writer since then, I'm sure. Um, I like to think so at least. Um, and Sean is just, he was so good to begin with. Like I can't say that he got a whole lot better because he didn't have a lot of room to improve. Um, Maynard's lines are, are sharper. His faces are, are more expressive. Um, you know, he did the color for this and his color work is just, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of where it was, I guess, almost three years ago when we worked together the first time. Um, the other thing that I noticed this time around was like, it felt even more like a collaboration. That's not to say we didn't collaborate last time, but it was a lot of like, I'm hiring you to do this job, you do this job, um, and you did it really well. But this time it was, it was more of a conversation among, among people trying to make an awesome book. Uh, and that, I think that really helped. Um, everyone was open to feedback and the feedback was three ways. Everyone was sort of talking with everyone and um, it was it was just a really positive experience. I hear these horror stories about people who have such a hard time working with artists and, and I can sort of speculate about what the reasons might be. It could be on the art end, it could be on the writing end, you know, make, sort of tug of war over control, but I'm very grateful that I've never had these problems. Um, and I think maybe part of it is because I don't ask for for a lot. Like my, if you see one of my scripts, they're pretty sparse. Like um, not not that I'm a lazy writer, but my my panel descriptions are one or two sentences, like at the most. You know, who's doing what? What what what's what's on their face? Do they have a prop? Um, is somebody else in the panel? Um, and I do that because I want the artist to sort of have as much freedom as possible to to a know imagine it better than I was going to anyway but also to to have fun with the story and really make it their own I know a lot of people create scripts where they call out every shot and every angle and that seems really suffocating to me um it also probably at least in my opinion it feels like an inappropriate type of thing like even a Hollywood director like lets the cinematographer like pick the shots unless there's like a specific effect they're going for or something and even then like I don't know, I guess it boils down to, you know, working with and hiring the people who you think can execute the vision the best way possible. And that's not necessarily my way or a writer's way. Yeah. Um, and it's also, uh, as a writer, it's, it's very, it's, uh, it's a very cool feeling. Um, when you, when you do f open up a, a file or, or get a page back from the artist, um, and, uh, they've, uh, they've with, minimal sort of direction they've almost nailed exactly um what you wanted uh that's this that's just a really cool feeling um to 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 have so um so i think we've covered uh this comic uh pretty well um do you uh do you want to go into um any uh future plans you have beyond I, I know you said that you're always working you're always writing is there is there anything that you that you're thinking about for for the next project uh um or or, or anything like that 
sure. I've definitely got several irons in the fire already, um, like sort of working backwards from the present. Uh, right now, I'm taking the Comics Experience Serialized Storytelling class, which is taught by Fred Van Lente, who needs no introduction from me. He's mm-hmm. amazing as a genius. Um, but I'm plotting out a story in that class, uh, and I'm talking to an artist about that. Uh, can't say more than that, because I think it's too early. Yeah. Um, before that, I've got a couple of one-shots that are uh, going to be drawn soon or are being drawn soon. One is sort of a modern day robots focused uh retelling of pinocchio but a lot darker and i'm working with a really great artist um named ricardo who has a very sort of scotty young style so it's a little bit outside my wheelhouse but he's he's really killing it and he's doing colors and he's using a lot of vibrant colors which is something i've not done a lot of before so it's you know, a lot of projects to sort of build myself out in a new way. Um, I've got another one shot that's going to start getting drawn in August. That's sort of a golden age, 50s Hollywood slasher. Um, so I wanted to try try something a little a little dark and, and very violent and sort of not so much rely on emotion and, and necessarily human connection like I have in my first couple stories. Um, so that's coming. I've got a sort of fictionalized account of my experiences during Hurricane Sandy uh, back in 2012. Uh, and that's sort of like a graphic novella that'll, you know, it's done. I'm sort of figuring out what to do with it. I think it'll probably end up on Kickstarter uh, just because I like using Kickstarter as a platform. And I think that this is probably of the stuff I'm working on. The only thing that isn't in source point presses uh, wheelhouse, mm-hmm. uh, but you never know. Um, so I'm just trying lots of different things, working with lots of different people, just trying to keep volume of output equal with development of craft and and skill. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's great. Uh, that's great advice for for anybody who's 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 thinking about doing this. Um, so I think we're we're going to wrap it up, but I want to make sure that we we cover the these dates again. Um, the book is coming out on July 24th and, uh, the, the final cutoff date for orders for, for shops is July 1st. Do I have that correct? That is, uh, that is correct. And for anybody using, uh, previews, uh, to order, um, they would need to have the, the previews or the, the diamond number, which I believe is May 191908. Um, which we will put in the the show notes and um, any social media post uh, related uh, for for this interview. Um, uh, why don't you let everybody everybody know where they can um, give you a follow on social media so they can keep up to date with this project and uh, other projects that you're going to have? Sure. Uh, all of my social media yeah, social media handles are just my name, Frank Gogol, uh, at F-A-R-A-N-K-F-R-A-N-K-G-O-G-O-L. Um, then my website is frankgogol.com. Um, I don't have a Facebook page. Uh, they just, they don't really work. Facebook doesn't, doesn't let them have the weight they used to. So if anyone listening to this wants to, you know, shoot me a friend request, I'm happy to accept, chat comics, do all that. Um, if I had to pick one place for people to follow me, it's Instagram. It's, it's my favorite. I think I'm a very visual person and I have a lot of fun posting on there. Um, I think I also probably have the biggest audience on there, so I might be biased. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, any, any of those places is fine. If, if you want to write me a letter and you can figure out where I live, I'd be, I'd like that too. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I will also, uh, let you give us, uh, one parting, uh, thought or, uh, you know, to, to tell us one more time about, uh, about the book, uh, before we, before we close out, uh, is there any last things that, uh, that you have to say? Yeah. Um, you know, I, if I, the one thing I'd like people to do is, uh, just, just consider giving indie books a chance. Like the, 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 the relationship is, is sort of symbiotic and, and, you know, readers need to prop up new talent if they want new books in the future. Like mm-hmm. Marvel just got a, a nice wave of new great creators with Matt Rosenberg and, uh, Kelly Thompson and, uh, Oh God, who did God Country? I'm I'm blanking. Donnie Cates. Donnie Cates. So thank you. Um and and Ed Brisson. Um and these these guys and gals only got a chance because people took a, a shot at their indie book. You know, people bought mm-hmm. God Country and before that they bought Buzzkills and and the other couple of books that Donnie did at Dark Horse. Um and same thing with Ed and Kelly and and Matt. You know, everyone bought four kids walking to a bank. And that's what helps shine a spotlight on them. And if we don't do that, we don't buy books like Dead and Kids or Grief or any of the other Source Point Press books, Nora, Ogre, Salvagers, um, Frank and the Ghost. You know, these new voices don't get a shot. Um, so if I could appeal to people and say, you know, please support indie comics, please do. Definitely agree with you there. So um, uh, I'd like to thank you uh, for for being on this uh, episode. I really I really enjoyed talking to you, and I I you you gave me a preview of the book, and I really enjoyed it. So I I also think people should uh, go out and 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 get a copy of this and and support this book. So um, if anybody wants to see more about this book, we will be we'll be we'll be posting about it on our Twitter, which is at Construct Compod. Um, we'll put up some images on our Instagram, which is at Constructing Comics Pod. And we also have a Facebook page, which is um, facebook.com forward slash Constructing Comics. So if anybody was intrigued by this interview and they want to see a little bit more, um, either go to Frank's sites or, or, or go to ours and, and you'll definitely see some. So um, uh, Frank, once again, I want to thank you uh, for, for being on this episode um, and, uh, I will second you, everybody go out there and support, uh, support indie comics. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I had a great time.